What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Lodges podcast. This is episode 11. Derek Watford, the co-founder of High Point Gamer, joins us on the podcast today. It's a special episode because he is our first guest from Tampa, Florida. And for any new listeners, I am also located out of Tampa, Florida. So it was great to have two professionals within this area come on and chat. We cover a lot of topics in this episode. We talk about High Point Gamer and how it works as a marketing and consulting firm for video game streamers, esport players, and gamers. We talk about Derek's military background. We talk about the NBA 2K League. And we also talk about the current state of esports down here in Tampa, Florida. So it's an awesome episode. I hope that everyone enjoys it. And you are about to listen to the Lodges podcast. everybody to another episode of the Lodges podcast. I am your host Juan Rodriguez, the founder of Lodges Financial, a business management firm for video game streamers and esport athletes. We have another great episode planned out here today with an awesome guest. Before we get to him, I, I do want to mention some things really quickly. First off, thank you to all of our listeners that have been tuning in and checking out our guests and hearing their stories. Appreciate um, all of the listens and the reviews that you guys have submitted. Uh, something that I do have for the podcast is that I do want to make it an interactive podcast. So if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with a written comment, thought, or question, whether that's to me or to our guests, I will read it on the next podcast episode um, to have that interactive aspect. Um, but other than that, we'll get right into our guests. So with us today, we have Derek from High Point Gaming. So I got connected with Derek actually via LinkedIn and then found out that he was in the Tampa Bay area. We set up a phone call and then since then we've we've stayed connected and created a relationship. So uh, Derek, thank you for coming on and joining me. Hey, I definitely appreciate you having me, Juan. Definitely. How's your day going? Going pretty good. How about you? I'm doing well. Well, that's awesome. I know we have, uh, so Derek and I got about two hours of podcasting set up, so, uh, having a good Sunday here. So Derek, the way that we always start these episodes with our guests is the background story, you know, your personal story, um, where you grew up, where you're from, that whole sort of thing. So I'll kind of just let you take it from here and introduce yourself uh, to all our listeners. Okay. My name is Derek Watford. I'm the founder of High Point Gamer and also the founder of Tampa Association of Gaming. Um, I, I've been a gamer all of my life since, um, man, since Atari days. Uh, if any of you young bucks know what Atari is. <laughs> um, gaming has always been a part of my life that has motivated me in a productive manner, meaning that um, because I didn't have parents that supported video games, um, the first video game my parents bought me was uh, the Atari, and then we elevated from the Atari to Nintendo. And so there was a big gap in between where I was spending a lot of time going to arcades, was what was which was about man ten miles away. 
And me oh, and my wow. friends are, would ride our bikes up to up to the mall and spend our money within the arcade. And out of all of my friends, I was probably the only one that would spend money, would spend all of his money in the arcade, where my friends would spend a little bit of money, but most of their money went to um, either buying music or food, uh, spending their money at Burger King or Krispy Kreme or something. Uh, and when my parents bought me a Nintendo, uh, they noticed right away that I had a lot of interest uh, in playing video games. So that became the main source of my punishment, meaning that anytime I didn't do well in school or um, I didn't complete a chore, uh, my Nintendo was the first thing to be taken away from me. And to be honest, I got really tired of being up under the rule of my parents in regards to uh, playing my video games. So what I did was I got a paper route um, and the paper route was about, I want to say, guys, 20 miles away. And so I would ride my bike, <laughs> ride my bike up to my paper route, deliver my papers, uh, collect my money. I had an awesome route. Like my route was like one of the uh, best paper routes uh, a person could have because everyone for the most part paid by mail automatically so I didn't have to do a whole lot of collecting it just I would get a nice fat check um, like every two weeks uh, from delivering papers so what I did was I saved up all of my money uh, and bought a Sega Genesis uh, rolled up to the mall purchased uh, $300 worth of video game stuff loaded it up into my uh, paper route basket wrote it home and threw it in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> threw it in the bushes behind my house, went in the house like everything was a normal day, uh, snuck outside after dinner, um, snuck the Sega Genesis into my garage, covered it in a blanket, put the Sega Genesis into a clothes basket as if I was uh, bringing my clothes in to fold them in my room, snuck the Sega Genesis in, slid the Sega Genesis up under my bed and it took me a week to unwrap it um, and use it because uh, back then they had that styrofoam that um, electronics came in and that, and that stuff was so loud. Like it was like <laughs> you're trying to pull it out the box. It's making this high shriek sound. And, and so it took me a week of inching it out little by little uh, during the breaks so <laughs> I would have or what I think I could sneak it in when I would hear my parents in the bathroom or something. And I played Sega Genesis for, oh, man, at least two months without ever knowing really what Sonic sounded like, because um, I would play it with a TV turned all the way down uh, so no one could hear that it had a video game. And I would have a blanket over the screen uh, so you wouldn't have the light. Uh, see the light shining up under my door or whatever. And right then I knew like, hey, as much work I'm willing to put into video games, uh, this is going to be my thing for the rest of my life. Um, and I think from that point on, I knew immediately that when I become an adult, that's one thing that I am definitely uh, always want to be able to have the opportunity to do is buy whatever video game system I want and play whatever video game um, I want. And so, um, and growing up, I went straight from high school to the military. In the military, I uh, did a couple of deployments over in Bosnia and Sarajevo. Um, and each deployment or uh, each duty station, I was buying another system. Um, and that was my 
break away from home. My first duty station was in Germany, so no, there wasn't much entertainment by way of uh, like normal stuff, like going to the mall or um, I don't know what whatever, whatever cool stuff it was back in the day. And since Germany was my first duty station, straight from the states, I didn't take full advantage of uh, being over in a European. Uh, country as far as taking the trips that were designated or or anything i was just like ready to get back home to the states and so video games took up a lot of my time um, over there uh, from the military uh, i was getting my degree at the same time uh, during the 9 11 uh, crashing um, that happened to be my area of operation um, when i was stationed at mcdill air force base and I got a degree in commercial art because that was kind of what I did in the military. I was like good with doing PowerPoints and putting together uh, four star general presentations. Um, I had a top secret clearance. So um, most of my presentations and reporting um, was on classified information. So I decided, hey, I already kind of had the skills in doing uh, graphic design. Why don't I go get a commercial art degree? Uh, so that's what I was doing full time, doing military full time, being a husband full time, being a parent full time, and then also being a full time student. Uh, when I finished the military, uh, I also finished uh, with my degree. Uh, I jumped into the corporate world um, as a creative director, did that for like 15 years. Uh, most of my background is in uh, what we call now content creation. We didn't call it that back in the day. It was just advertising and marketing uh, that all that stuff uh, went up under. So I'm a good photographer. I'm a good graphics guy, uh, video editor. And even from the graphics, just graphic design, I elevated into the app development world of being a UX UI developer, um, which is all just really tech stuff, geek stuff. And I was playing video games competitively during that process with SOCOM was my first real taste of multiplayer and competitive play. Uh, Call of Duty tournaments, getting on uh, GeoCity chats, and and and, <laughs> and that's back when. Now that I think about it, we were really using the internet as social media when you're you going inside these forums and uh, setting up your clan tags, etc. Uh, but I never saw the gaming industry as an industry. I just saw it as this thing that I would work hard so that I had the ability to do um, in my free time and not uh, feel guilty, not be looked at like, yo, you're a bum. Like, no, uh, I got a nine to five. I make good money. Uh, I got a wife and kids. I'm home. Me playing video games is not a loser thing. Right. About four years ago, uh, me and a, my partner, Dion, uh, we were sitting around trying to think of extra ways to get additional revenue. Uh, and one of the ideas that we came up with was, like, hey, man, let's put on tournaments. You know, we can do, we can charge people to enter the tournaments. Then you have your spectator fees, man. Um, if we get this many people to sign up, we'll be able to make this much. If we do it um, a tournament every week, this is how much money we can make uh, every month. And we were like, cool, let's do it. So, we got all the equipment, a um, bunch of PlayStations, TVs, additional controllers, like the whole nine to set up. I started renting out facilities, booking DJs and hostesses, referees, doing our own marketing, event rights, uh, making sure we had official rules and official setup because we wanted it to be like 
hey, if I'm coming to a high point gamer a tournament, I know I'm going to play against the best people. I know it's going to be official. I know they're going to be um, consistent uh, and trustworthy, etc. And doing that, uh, that's where I learned that it's really an industry. Like it's it's really a world out there of gamers that use their gaming skills as a means to generate revenue. Uh, we started having guys come from California, uh, come from D.C., Maryland to participate in the tournaments. Um, and talking with them, I realized that there's a group that of guys that might stay with their mom, might stay with their girlfriend, uh, and they're saving up their money hunting for tournaments to enter in. And and they're treated almost like a lotto or a, a flip game uh, for their $500 that they put in for uh, their ticket, hotel stay, uh, entry fee, et cetera, hoping that, okay, it's worth for $5. $500, I'm willing to risk the opportunity of winning $5,000 or $1,000. Um, and in doing so, I met Tim Anselimo. Uh, he was one of the winners of our Madden tournament. Um, and we started developing a relationship just within the gaming space because I was the only one in Tampa that was putting on tournaments. Um, so when the NBA 2K League came around, he's like, man, I'm good at NBA 2K too. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he was telling me about the 2K League on how he was, they're going to have a pro league and a pro team. And, and so during with him through the process, educated me on the process of like, OK, this is like the first esports activation and the NBA is doing it. And so I was coaching him on the fact that it's good to be uh, good at the game, but also show them how you are personally um, from a like so let's do a video so we uh, have a photography and music studio so we're in the studio doing videos about him explaining hey I'm a good team player this is what makes me a good team player this is why I should be picked on an NBA 2K team uh, we did a nice little edit for it and uh, allowed him to share it online for Twitter amongst his 2K community uh, that he was already looked up in anyways Lo and behold, uh, Tim had skills, so uh, he was selected to be in the NBA 2K draft. And then the draft was in New York. And so uh, I helped him get a uh, pick out a suit for the draft. He gave me one of his additional tickets because you only could have um, the gamer plus one person um, for the draft that year. Uh, and when I went up to New York, and attending the draft, man, there was like 75,000 people that tried out for the NBA 2K League and only 102 made it. And out of the 102, there was a small percentage of players that the NBA took care of the expenses of them attending, like flights and hotels, etc. And the rest of the people, even though they were getting drafted and guaranteed to be on a team, they had to figure out on their own how they were going to get to the draft and participate in the full experience of being in this inaugural esports team. And to me, I thought that was kind of, um, I don't know if I can say shitty on your podcast, but I thought that was pretty, pretty bad. Here you have this inaugural esports activation and some people couldn't participate and the cool part of it, like getting your name drafted and you get to walk on stage and you grab your little hat and you shake the commissioner's hand and take pictures and 
uh, and it's televised on TV. Like that's the cool stuff that normally only traditional athletes get to participate in. Um, and then I also realized that there were people that would have liked to have attended this draft, but they couldn't because they came from backgrounds that they couldn't afford a ticket. They couldn't afford a car that they could drive two states over uh, to attend, or they couldn't afford to uh, bring a plus one with them because they were barely getting there themselves. And, and if they didn't have the ability to pay for that on their own, I knew that they also didn't have the ability to fully maximize the opportunity they were given uh, in the NBA's 2K league. So then that opened up another door for me where I was like, man, these guys need help and need assistance. And so I kind of was thinking of becoming an uh, agent on the esports side. But because the money wasn't there from like millions to tap into, you're like, okay, well, where are you getting your revenue from? Um, are you going to try to come in here and, and think you're entitled to a portion of the salary that these guys are getting just because you're going to help them uh, maximize their career. And technically, yes, uh, it would be worth that. But to an audience that was new to that, uh, I don't think they would have understood the value in it in order to be cool with that. Uh, so I had to come up with a different type of structure uh, in order to support them as well as not just trying to support their career within the esports space, but support the organizations that I also knew that were like the NBA 2K leagues that would need assistance in making sure their investment within the esports space brought back some ROI or was successful. Right. And Derek, just the, I, I want to touch on that later. I want to go back a bit though, just to your beginning, you know, you're growing up again. Um, before we get too much into the 2K League and, and your thoughts on, on its current status and, and that whole sort of conversation, um, just to go a bit more in depth. So you grew up in Tampa, correct? No, I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then, so were you in Virginia through high school or did you move down to Tampa during that time or, or what was that timeline like? Um, okay, so let me rewind for you. So uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, all black, you know, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, went to the area high school that was, um, I guess it was kind of even, but it was majority black uh, for the most part. Um, when I finished high school, uh, I joined the military. My first duty station um, was down in South Carolina. That's where I went to uh, boot camp. Um, from that, my first duty station after uh, South Carolina was Mannheim, Germany, and I spent three years, three and a half years over in Germany. And while in Germany is when I was deployed on uh, the Bosnia and Sarajevo. And then from Germany, I went to Texas, Fort Hood, uh, spent about another three years in Fort Hood, Texas, was deployed again uh, with the mechanized infantry. So I was in a tank unit tank and artillery unit. Uh, so I was deployed with them. After Fort Hood, I came down to uh, Tampa, Florida, which is MacDill Air Force Base. Um, it was, even though I'm Army, um, they have joint bases where like everybody's able to be together and MacDill Air Force Base is one of those bases that house everyone from Army, Navy, Marines, and Air Force. And MacDill Air Force Base was my last duty station. Okay. 
And then so after then, you just decided that you like Tampa, and, and that's kind of how you've been here since. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then so you mentioned after was it after you finished the military or right after you were in school? You you became a father. You were married. Um, was that while you were finishing your position in the military, or did that come right after? So I was doing both. I um, when I got to MacDill Air Force Base, not long after that, I was like, you know what? I can't really support a family off of eighteen thousand a year, uh, wife and two kids. I need to do something else. Right. Also, I had uh, injured my back and shoulder in the military, and I was kind of a little busted up. So, um, I knew that like, let me get out of here, and and but I need a degree because I. I believe that even though I did a military service and uh, was already good with computers and design, I knew that the civilian world, there was a possibility of them not respecting the military enough because, um, you know, like we, we say now, oh, thanks for your service. And the military is, is looked at as this good thing. But there we forget there was a period of time where people hated the military. They're mad at them, like mm-hmm. still from the Vietnam time and all and all that type of stuff. So, um, you didn't know what the outcome would be when you get out of the military, especially as a black person. On like, is my duties good enough for me to get a good job, or am I going to be out right. here struggling and and become an alcoholic or dep- depressed or something because I feel slighted in some type of way? So I decided, let me get my degree. Uh, graphic design was something I was good at, so uh, pursued my degree in that. Um, did real well, and then when I got out of, when I got my degree and got out, I was. It took me a little while to find a job. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna act like it was a smooth transition. It was, it was a little stressful ch- transition for a while there, almost eight months, eight months of unemployment, yeah. being unemployed <laughs> for a while there. Um, then I found this job at a software company. Uh, they were looking for uh, art director. Um, and I had made some connections within that company, and, and they hired me. That's awesome. Yeah. And so uh, a question before we were about to move away from the military portion of your life, but I want to ask, because I think I've heard you talk about this before. Um, as far as you know, your time in the military, how did video games act as an escape for you, you know, from things you may have gone through day to day through your military experience. Did video games, you know, play a role in just allowing you to escape and, and to do something you enjoy doing without thinking about other things? Yes, it did. Uh, it was it, video games served as a coping mechanism that I didn't recognize at the time that it was a coping mechanism because my personality is a, um, antisocial personality uh, especially back then I was real like if I don't know you and we don't <laughs> and we don't go way back and I'm probably not talking to you like and I have no interest in talking to you or even getting to know you or anything like that so that mentality of being like that and being in the military is counterproductive because you're always going <laughs> to be going somewhere else where there's new people at right right so Video games was my way of still being antisocial and not feeling the effects of being antisocial because I'm, hey, I'm sitting in this room and I'm playing my game. I'm happy. I can, I can afford to go to the PX, uh, which is the military store, 
uh, and their games were always cheaper. You didn't have to pay tax um, on it. I would get whatever game I want and sit in my room and play. And that was my uh, relaxation. And then during deployments, um, same thing. You, after you're coming from um, a patrol and you've been sitting on top of that gun uh, for like three hours and, and you need to wind down because you have guard duty uh, coming up at, at midnight, you sit down and, and you play some video games and you sit in a room with a bunch of other guys taking turns playing video games while you clean your weapon and and, and talk about what are you going to buy when you get back from the deployment or um, what are you going to do in the club when you get back from deployment or, or even if you're venting about uh, what your girlfriend is doing or, or isn't writing you letters or about your mom that uh, keeps asking for more money to help pay um, bills around the house or, or whatever stresses that we had uh, it was usually done over video games so it's like a pastime almost yeah. for you guys and a pacifier yeah <laughs> that's awesome no and, and that's great to hear that you know you as yourself as well as others had something at least to give yourself a bit of escape and, and to give yourself some pastime you know during during that experience um and then so we catch up and we talked about how, you know, after you, you got your degree. And so I know you touched lightly. I, I want to get into where you first got introduced into esports. Was that when the 2K League came about or did it come prior to the 2K League? You know, like competitive esports. When did that first come onto your horizon? So um, I played competitively on SOCOM and, and Call of Duty, but... We didn't call it esports when we were doing it. It was just, um, it was just tournaments and, and right. matches and, and competitive clan versus clan. And um, so I've been in that world of the competitive space and didn't realize I was already in that space. Um, so when it came to esports, as the term uh, that is so popular now, I'm gonna say. When we started putting on our own uh, Madden and 2K tournaments within the area, and I was looking up online to make sure I was doing the good official rules or, or figuring out uh, what other ways can I make this more official where people take it seriously and not just some dudes that's hustling uh, and throwing tournaments for us to pay to enter. Right. Um, I came across like, oh, esports as a term. And lo and behold, um, putting on these tournaments, uh, is like I guess, like I said, I got introduced to Tim Anselmo, and then boom, esports that was on the horizon. It's like, ooh, I was, I was there before, before <laughs> I realized it was even a thing, you know. Yeah, you were kind of walking that path, and yeah. you didn't even gotcha. Is that so? And then is that kind of the origin story of how High Point Gaming came out? Did it start with those tournaments you originally putting on, yes. or was that something separate? Okay, gotcha. No, that was High, that high Point Gamer was originally just supposed to be about uh, competitive tournaments. Gotcha. And then, so you co-founded that, correct? Yes, correct. and my okay. other, other co-founder is Dion Wren, who's the actual, he's a military veteran as well, and a cancer survivor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's see a tough guy then. <laughs> uh, and so w were you both in Tampa during that time or kind of, um, you know, did, did you two come together and you just wanted to put on the tournaments and, and, and that's how it came about? Or, you know, how did 
how did I guess that conversation go at, at the beginning? It was, it was really a money interest. We were interested in how do we make additional revenue outside of just having our jobs. Because um, I've, I've always had a, well, not always, I'm going to say, I picked up an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit when I got laid off um, of my first corporate job out of the military. Um, here I had done eight years or eight. No, I just got a pin. So you get a pin at 10 years. So I did 10 years and here uh, you get an invite when you come in. Um, well, before you left work, the day before the guy sent out an email like, hey, we have a mandatory company meeting at 9.30 in the morning. Um, but I got to work every day about um, 7.30 anyway. So I come into work and yeah, when 9.30 hit, half of the room is, is told, hey, you guys need to go in this other room and you other group stay in here. And I was one of the people that was in that group that had to go in the other room. And, and when you went in that other room, it's a whole different group of people that are standing in front of the room that you don't even know that are telling you, hey, please open up the folder in front of you and sign these documents that uh, you've officially been terminated. Um, the company has been sold. Uh, you will have a liaison that walks you back to your desk where you only can grab uh, your personal items and you'll be escorted out of the building where you're not even able to um, go say bye or anything to these coworkers that you've been working with for 10 years and you're and you have this stranger that's watching you as you pack the stuff in your desk to make sure you're not taking anything all while you've been a good employee and have contributed to the growth of this company only to go back home where you have to tell your wife oh I know I'm the breadwinner and I know I pay all the bills and I know I go to work, but I won't be doing that anymore because um, I'm laid off and not because I'm laid off because I sucked at my job, but I'm laid off because I was so, uh, um, I don't like giving from a, like I work here. And so therefore I didn't just do my job. I did a bunch of stuff that benefited the company from like, I helped them like it was a software company. Like I, because I was a graphics guy, I also learned how to do UX and UI and, and, and submitted improvements that they needed to make to their uh, core application that they made money off of to improve the UX and UI. And, uh, but from an on paper standpoint and a job title standpoint, uh, the new company that was coming in just saw uh, creative director was like, oh, we already have one of those. And this guy makes a lot of money for a dang on creative director. And look how young he is. Eh, we got one of those. Like we, right. Um, and so then that's when I realized that, hey, I, I'm going to find a way to create revenue um, and do something that's a little more uh, secure. Because here I was thinking that life was about working at a job, doing good at a job. Uh, being productive and as long as you do that and you're healthy and the job is still around like you're good to go like you don't have any worries uh, from a financial standpoint or being a provider and to learn all of that was actually a lie and that's not really how the world operated or shall I say the world didn't operate like that going forward like that mentality was an old school mentality to think oh I just 
you find one job and if it's a good job and you can maintain it, you're good to go like that. Uh, my generation is probably the end of that era where, no, you probably be somewhere five years and you better be looking for somewhere after that and go somewhere after that and go somewhere after that. And, um, and so after that, taking that loss and going through that depression phase and uh, I developed an entrepreneurial spirit and I was always on the lookout for like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? What else can I do that generates revenue that keeps me pro- progressing and uh, how does this feed into this strategically? And um, and that's where putting on tournaments came about because again, it was just another uh, way of generating additional revenue. Right. Mm. No, and it seems like that, that seems like, you know, from the story you just told that it was uh, a personally hard time for yourself that, you know, something you had to go through. Um, but, you know, everything builds you up to be stronger. And I know that now you've got iPoint Gamer and, and that's going amazing for you. Um, but it's interesting to kind of hear, you know, what led you up to that. And so what I, I guess for the listeners, so there's tournament, there's a tournament aspect of High Point Gamer. But I personally know that High Point Gamer does a lot more than just that. So can you tell us a bit more about what your role is at high point gamer and the sort of things that it does outside of tournaments. So as my brand grew and I, and, and I actually understood the industry from a business perspective a lot better. Um, I realized that the tournament aspect one putting on doing the simple math of tournaments of, Oh, this person is going to pay to enter. This person is going to pay to watch. And the production value that I add to it is this DJ, this hostess, uh, these stream cameras, um, these real cameras from content creation, uh, this prize pool, this trophy, um, even the banners that I'm printing out, the web page that I have, the uh, uh, Hootsuite uh, subscription that I'm paying for. All those things <laughs> cost money. And also take up time and resources where I learned quickly that the ROI on putting on tournaments took a lot more work than what it seemed like um, before I was actually in the industry. Um, And as my brand grew and I became connected within the space, I started getting those letters from the Rocket Leads and 2Ks of the world that are like, hey, you know, you can't be putting on tournaments without a license. And I'm paying that, and here's our rules for tournaments or using our game. We don't want our game played with other games, or you can't charge for people to play our games, or um, you can't have uh, this age group. Or I realize that let, let me go to the consulting side because there's an audience that needs consulting because they don't understand esports. The gamer doesn't understand the full opportunity from it. He just knows the game. The organization that is uh, trying to be in the esports space doesn't know how uh, tournaments and operations really run and what's the some of the uh, speed bumps or, or tr- troubles that you're going to get into with tournaments or like structuring from a like how long does it take? Um, what type of staff do you need? What type of equipment do you need? What's the follow up after the tournament should be? What type of prizes are good for the tournament? Uh, who's a suitable host? Which genre and game should we play? Where should we hold it at? Um, as well as how do gamers act? Uh, what do they need at an event? And what do they need from an esports or team organization standpoint? 
And so I wanted to make sure that the expertise that I had within the space by being a gamer, by actually putting on tournaments, by having uh, behind the scene knowledge of what goes on in the esports world uh, due to my relationships that I had with key people. Um, how can I use all that to help ensure that the opportunities in esports are successful so that there are continued opportunities for people to shine and grow and, and use gaming as a way to provide earned income, um, feel accepted, social inclusion, diversity, etc. Gotcha. And to backtrack on the tournaments that you were putting on, I know one of them you had the opportunity to put on with the Lakeland Magic, correct? Yes, yes. And, and so what was, I can imagine that, you know, that had to be kind of cool to have a G League team, you know, to partner with in an event like that. So what did that event go like or, or what was your feedback after that event? So the feedback was good. Shout out to Jimmy over at uh, Lakeland Magic who introduced me to the opportunity. Um, it was good. It was it was definitely it was a welcomed event from uh, setting up uh, consoles, allowing actually it was kid focused so that the kids could come and play. Uh, so I put on a tournament and Lakeland Magic was like, oh, we like this activation. We like to add it, uh, continually add it to the event, etc. Um, but to be honest, man, I got so popular from a consulting standpoint. There are a lot of opportunities that's opportunities that I built like that that I kind of had to stop taking advantage of because it, it wasn't making sense from my time and ROI standpoint when I'm right. Um, I also did a tournament with uh, Tracy McGrady. I did his first esports tournament. Um, oh, wow. an, um, an event that he does uh, with the community where he gives back. Um, so I did a tournament for him. I also put on the first scholarship esports tournament in Pinellas County, St. Pete, Clearwater area, where I got with high schools and uh, did an NBA 2K tournament, gave away $5,000. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And so to transition to that a bit, because, you know, obviously you are more on the consulting side now, as, as you were just explaining, I know that you speak to parents and, you know, kids, young adults about the opportunities that there are within esports and kind of giving them that education. So for any parents, I guess we can start there first for any parents that we possibly have listening that, you know, maybe their son or daughter is starting to get into the whole esports thing since it's becoming popular and maybe they don't understand it. So, well, what's a couple minute, you know, explanation of some of the career opportunities maybe not even just playing as a, you know, esport player, but even just in the industry, you know, all the opportunities that there are there. What I like to tell parents is to think of the um, gaming industry as an industry and not about the video game and not about the playing of the video game. And because the industry needs to be supported by all the support uh, roles for marketing, content creation, game development, game testing, shoutcasting, operations, marketing, PR, uh, health and wellness, uh, dietary, player management, brand management, content creation, video, photo editing, etc. And allow them to support their child in doing that so that their child can also be exposed to these other opportunities and not just the playing video games aspect. Right. And, and, and in that mind, it, in, or in that aspect, to me, it's no different than, you know, if you look at the NBA, you know, a lot of kids grow up 
having a love for basketball and all that. And, you know, maybe their career doesn't lead them, obviously, to be a professional player, but maybe they still get to go work for a team organization and, and be in the industry, like you're saying. Um, and I think that we're, we're starting to get further along, obviously, as this becomes more popular. But in esports, there's so much more to just not being a player. But as you're saying, the industry as a whole, there's so many positions and opportunities for someone that, you know, might have a passion in photography and a passion in gaming. And, you know, there's an opportunity for them to come into the space and work in that area. And it really doesn't, you know, in that aspect, it really doesn't have much to do with actually playing a game. Um, and, and I think we touched then too a bit on, you know, for any young adults listening, you know, Derek just mentioned some awesome other opportunities, you know, where there's brand management, that whole sort of thing that that doesn't involve playing and and you can still have it you know as Derek and I do on the side as a passion that you still you know enjoy playing and enjoy that aspect but you know your some of our professional careers don't actually entail playing you know day to day um and so that's for the parents and the kids and then I know you also work with companies and you go to that you know some forward thinking companies that are starting to hear about esports do you when you approach them and you have those meetings with them, do you kind of approach it the same way or, or do you take a different perspective for them? It depends on the organization. Some organizations are interested in esports from a uh, community engagement aspect. Some are interested from a fundraising aspect. Some are interested in it as a recruiting tool or marketing tool. And I like to fill out what are their interests or what do they think esports is about or what value do they think they can grab from esports and then try to connect it if there's a connection or steer them in a different direction if that's not the proper direction for them to go in. Right. So so make sure it's an authentic and, and the right business decision for them. Um, yes. Because, okay. Right. Which yeah. And talk about that because I actually think that that's an important – it's something that I've seen kind of discussed on LinkedIn as of recently even is, you know, obviously – esports is growing and there's a lot of money going into it so the companies that are aware of it would like to come in so that you know they could have that return but talk a bit about how you know esports might not just be the most authentic fit or the great fit for every organization or company right kind of elaborate on that a bit um so uh my red flags are organizations that are just thinking about it from a monetary standpoint they hear the large prize pools or they hear about the large investments um, and they want to get a piece of that um, because esports is bigger than just uh, a money return thing in my opinion and I don't know if it's just because I'm in the gaming community and because I actually um, talking to these high school students where you see these kids that otherwise are not getting any attention otherwise they're not socially included otherwise they don't have any social capital because um they're odd person out whether because they look funny quote unquote or they don't have the cool clothes or or they're not the the wittiest talkers and i see esports as that opportunity to give another avenue for kids to to be socially included to promote diversity to promote economic empowerment and that's where the real value is to me that i see esports is is that giving kids or or anyone not even just kids the opportunity to use their passion for gaming in a way that 
gets them accepted, allows them to practice their social skills, allows them to feel uh, important and valuable within the community. It's good for mental health. It's good for us as a society. It's good for us um, from a community standpoint. And there's an investment that we should be willing to put into that when we look at the stats on how many uh, people play video games, meaning that that's a large audience that we can affect with these activations on that ultimately improve our community. No, I think you're absolutely 100% correct. I actually, you know, I had Adam Nelson and he's the founder for the esports, which is uh, they put on esports tournaments. And so that's his niche. And he came on a couple episodes ago and he was talking a lot kind of how you were with that his overall goal is to, you know, empower the kids and the young individuals that have a passion for this and see it as an opportunity for them to connect with other kids. And so from, from that whole perspective, I think that you're completely right. And I think that other people that are in this space doing it for those kind of reasons are doing it for the right reasons. So I definitely, um, you know, think you're not alone there. And I think that's the right attitude and approach to take to it. Um, is there anything else? Go ahead. One of the challenges is, is that the people with the money don't come from that. So that doesn't um, motivate them. Like I have, I'm putting $20 million in. I don't really give a crap about the community for the most part. I need to get some ROI on this $20 million uh, because I could take this $20 million and put into pharmaceuticals, cannabis, and, and, and it'll turn back as a, an investment for me. So a lot of times I have to be careful on how much I, I push the social capital side because it doesn't always work. And I've gotten to the space now uh, because I have become so connected that I'm able to not care. Like I can be like, I don't care. <laughs> if all you're interested in is the money part, I'm not the guy for you. Um, and I'm right. cool with that. Like I don't, I don't even care. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta stay authentic to yourself and, and yeah. your your beliefs. No, I'm with you 100. Mm-hmm. percent And I think it's easy to tell too. You know, there's, you know, from the money side. You know, there's the whole thing that's come about with some professional athletes getting into it and others. And I think it's easy to tell, you know, when a professional athlete that's actually had, you know, a passion for gaming and and that and has the passion like right now, I think it's easy to tell from even just an audience perspective when when someone's like, you know, like, for example, I, I follow Myers Leonard and and Josh Hart a lot. And I know that those guys like really, really love gaming. You know, it's easy to tell that they're about it and they love it. And then, you know, there's others that, you know, whether they're at a high up in a company or something like that you can kind of tell um when it looks unauthentic or or not real um is there anything else you wanted to before we move away from high point gamer is there anything else that you wanted to touch on for high point gamer that you guys do or something that we didn't talk about yet so another aspect that i so esports consulting is our main focus right now but i also help from a gaming aspect industry-wide in general, meaning that if you're a gamer that like, hey, I want to stream, I'm interested in doing something in this space, but I don't really know where to navigate, what to navigate. We also provide that assistance uh, for those brand influencers that they don't want to be competitive, um, but they want to turn their passion for gaming into something that can generate revenue for them, whether that's doing reviews, game reviews, game testing, content creation, um, being a Twitch streamer, etc. Right, right. So maybe more on like the content creating side compared yeah. to being competitive. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. So definitely for, for any listeners, you know, if, if there's anything Derek mentioned there that you want to ask him a question about uh, at the end, we'll, we'll be giving away where, where you can find him socially on all the social media platforms. So if you have any questions from there, you'll be able to reach out to him about that. Um, Derek, so let's shift a little bit towards our next conversation, which I know you mentioned a little bit earlier and touched on earlier, but now I kind of want to deep dive into it further is the NBA 2K League. So I know for both of us, this is both one of the eSport, you know, quote unquote leagues that you and I both have an interest in and and both have a bit more of a passion of. So I guess the first question I just want to ask you is what are your current, you know, overall thoughts of where the league is at right now? And I know that you were involved and had a good perspective on it at the beginning with Tim. So what are your current thoughts of where the league is at? Uh I commend the league for just taking the steps uh, to jump in and invest money into building up uh, esports ecosystem where because they have pro teams, you're helping urge colleges to create that pipeline to also feed into the pro world with their scholarships, with their esports teams, etc. Um, but I also know that the NBA has a challenge with the esports league because it doesn't operate the same as the traditional uh, NBA franchises, meaning that for the NBA, you have a player that's played in high school, they go to college and then they get drafted. Um, But their esports team is a person that's coming straight from the couch that isn't part of any type of processes or systems. So that creates a certain challenge, one, for the organization and their investment Two, for the player that's part of the investment. And then as an industry as a whole, that's trying to figure out how do we work together? How do we improve this? How do we implement this with the resources that we have and learn as we go along and do it in a manner that doesn't mess up the opportunity where it stops the NBA from investing in this. So all those storms that I like to call it and the fact that esports is new and makes it a very volatile volatile situation where it could go left, where people are like, oh, I told you, esports suck, video games was, was um, a waste, and you guys shouldn't have done it. Because the NBA doesn't have all the resources or the manpower and the staff to fully uh, execute and operate, especially if they're using staff that's using dual hats, meaning I'm, I'm the PR person, but I also handle the PR for the actual NBA franchise, as well as the M- NBA component. I mean, not the NBA, but as well as the esports component. And so if I get a call and I need to divide my time up, it's more likely going to go towards the NBA side because that's what we've been making money on. That's what really makes us money. This other entity is a new entity, and I might not even be a gamer. Uh, so therefore, I might not really have any interest in the esports side. Um, because I'm not able to think of it as a uh, from a business standpoint. So those challenges create challenges for the team that leaves opportunity for people like me and you to help them and, and be a, an assistance that helps make them a success because they don't have the bandwidth or because they're learning as they go along or because they have um, certain practices in place that tie their own hands where they can only do but so much with inside of the organization and so that they need someone outside of the organization to help them out. So part of me loves what they're doing, 
and also like the stuff that they're messing up on because that's opportunity. And I'm just excited for the growth that they have. Like they're going international and yeah. And I see it's they're trying to do the right thing, man. Um, and and I don't know how everything works from a monetary standpoint on their end on how they decide to make certain decisions. So I try not to be too hard on them. Right. Right. No. And I think that's something, you know, talking about where someone might have to wear two hats. I think that's a conversation you and I had had, you know, off the microphone where, you know, I know from that you have the knowledge, you know, maybe some teams don't have enough staff and, you know, some 2K teams don't have enough staff to cover and do the jobs well that need to be done well in order to propose, propel the league, you know, as further along as it can be and as quickly as long as it can. Um, and so I think that that is kind of a point, you know, a negative point of view right now where maybe they, I, I don't know, do you think they, for certain NBA 2K teams, they need more staff on these teams so that if someone's doing one job, they're 100% into that job and not having to wear a couple of hats? Yes. But I'm yeah. also realistic because I understand how jobs work anyways. A job is pretty much a person that got up in the morning, sat in some traffic, went, checked in, uh, his inbox tells him what the to-do to do is, or a boss is telling him what the to-do is. Uh, they have a certain amount of hours to complete those to-dos, go home, and do it again tomorrow. So if you're spinning up a new organization, a new league, and you're learning on the process, and you're already short-staffed in an industry that, how am I going to go get staff anyway? Like if I put out an esports thing, or esports position, like who's gonna who's gonna take that, and how do I vet them? And the time that it takes to vet that, and the time that it takes to me to write up what I need while I'm learning what I need, while I'm trying to make this thing successful, while I'm trying to acclimate new players that are missing home, that are uh, might be depressed, that might be antisocial. Uh, um, it's, it's just not enough hours in the day to to do that without dumping a bunch of resources at it. And if I'm trying to be um, conservative with my spending because it's new to our organization. So my organization might not be fully in from a money standpoint. They might've said, yeah, we'll do this, but I'm only going to dedicate a million dollars uh, a year to it or, or my budget towards it is a two mil budget. While another organization said, Hey, I got a five mil budget that I'll dump to it every year. Um, that creates a different environment per, uh, per organization. Right. No, and it'll be that's a good point because you know, I know for example, Cleveland has dumped a lot of money into it, right? Mm-hmm. And they're trying to do it or it, from the surface it seems like they're trying to do what they can to propel their league and their team to be, you know, one of the elite teams whereas, you know, other teams like you're saying may not be doing that and maybe they have someone wearing multiple hats and maybe even that person that's wearing those multiple hats doesn't even really have a huge passion for esports or gaming, but that's just the job they've been given. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think that's that's some of their struggle points right now. Uh, another thing I want to ask you is, what are your, and I know you touched on it lightly. What are your thoughts with Gen G? You know, entering the 2K market now, bringing in a team outside of North America that's international, and now giving the 2K league that international touch. What did, what did you think of that move? Um, I give it a thumbs up, man. I'm, I know some people were critical of it because uh, it's international and. And the international interest in NBA 2K isn't as high. But I look at it like 
just because something stats wise isn't already there, that doesn't mean you don't put effort into helping grow it there. Because uh, the international market is a big gaming market anyway. Like they're the leaders in the esports space and and being um, patrons of esports. So why not try to grow and expand the market out there? Um, I think the difference between some organizations for sure is you have organizations that are waiting to see if esports turns out, and then you have other organizations that believe that they need they need to make esports turn out and i think that creates a different type of um, motivation meaning that if you're doing it where you want to see if this thing works out versus knowing that video games isn't going anywhere people that like to compete with video games aren't going anywhere so let's get on this thing and let's do it right right Mm -hmm. yeah no and, and shout out to the teams that are doing the ladder and and understand that it's you know current and the future and that there are huge opportunities that are already being created and will continue to be created or at least you know that's my personal opinion of yeah. of everything going on um and and then lastly for you know maybe any 2k players that get a chance to listen to this what are you know some things that you believe at high point gamer you could help with or, or maybe what are some tips of advice just really quickly that you think of benefit players that are entering this league and, and trying to figure it out. So to be real candid with you, if you're in the NBA 2K league, interested in the 2K league, you're going to need someone on your team, on your side to help you with your brand and your success as a business. You are a business. You are an entrepreneur. You're taking some skill that you've had and you've turned it into a way that generates money uh, for you. And that's how you need to look at it. Don't look at it like I'm the best sharpshooter in the league. I'm the best defense in the league. It's it's really not about gaming. It's about taking this opportunity and being successful with it and connecting with groups like mine, High Point Gamer. We're able to get you plugged in with other professionals that are able to make your brand um, better. Like whether we're con- connecting you with like Juan, who's going to give you the financial expertise, but uh, dietitians, uh, celebrity life coaches, um, uh, uh, spiritual healers, etc. All of these things to, that you would need to help you be successful and create some longevity around your passion and skills in gaming. Uh, definitely do not hesitate to reach out for to us. Uh, do not believe that the organization that you're in is going to put, <laughs> they're already strapped on resources. And even if they're not strapped on resources, their bottom line is to make their franchise, their organization, a success, and you come second to that. So if you sit around and you wait for like, oh, well, I'm with the NBA, their graphics people, their marketing department has to be the best out there, and they're going to make sure I'm a success. Uh, you're going to be disappointed when that next season comes along. You're not one of the players that's uh, been selected to stay on the team uh, because your social media. Uh, engagement is weak because you haven't been posting anything or or your interviews are horrible because uh, you haven't taken the time to learn how to be more personable on the microphone etc yeah no and and we'll close the 2k segment with this part but i think those are actually really solid points because if you think about a traditional nba player they have someone that does their marketing. They have someone that does, you know, all those different roles in their life that are outsourced. So 
if that makes it easier for maybe some players in the league to understand that, yeah, you are part of an NBA 2K league, which is a part, you know, of the NBA and that whole sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe even think about a traditional NBA player where he has all these different people that are doing these things in, in, in their life. And it's not all being sourced from the actual NBA. Um, and I agree with you, Derek. I think you have to have those things to be, you know, to sell yourself as an NBA 2K player and to have a longevity in your career, just like you would if, you know, you were signing to an actual NBA team. Um, so the last segment that, that I kind of want to chat with you about, and of course we want to do this because we're both located here in Tampa and I know that we're both along with, you know, many others in the area that are trying to make the esports and gaming market more attractive in Tampa. I wanted to chat on this just for a couple of minutes. Um, you know, what is your current take on where esports and gaming is at in Tampa for maybe those listening that are here in Tampa so they can learn more or even for those that are in different cities and, and want to learn where Tampa's at? What what is you know, what would you say? I I think Tampa from a, a location standpoint is awesome. We have an international airport, an airport that's awesome. And <laughs> we have a professional NFL team, NHL team, MLB team. Uh, we're located near St. Pete and Clearwater beaches, an hour away from Orlando, four hours from Miami. It's a city that is booming and growing thanks to Jeff Vinnick and Bill Gates and their investment that they're putting into downtown uh, Riverwalk in Tampa. It is it is a perfect location for esports to thrive um, from within the industry, from within this area, and as being a destination location as well yeah they'll definitely agree and you know whether that's tournaments or pro teams land events you know things like that i think that um tampa is growing in that aspect and i definitely think that everything you just touched on is is true and it'd be a great destination for those sort of things um, one downfall for tampa is that it is not a youth-led uh, city it is a older generation-led city so therefore their speed on some things is a little slower uh, and they need a little more convincing um, to fully participate in that. And that's how I feel about them from an esports standpoint um, is that they hear about it and they know about it, but they're, they want the benefits of it without fully investing in it like they should. Um, right. And we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And one thing that did go in the, in the right direction that happened a couple of weeks ago or a month ago was the USF eSports Summit that went on, you know, on campus at the University of South Florida. You had the opportunity to be a guest speaker at that event, as well as many other, you know, honestly, very well-named, well-known names within the industry that came and spoke. What was your feedback or what was your thought of that event and really what did that mean for helping you know Tampa move closer to becoming um, a very desirable esports city. I thought it was a great event. Um, hats off to Dr. Harold and Dr. Wells and uh, David Glass for um, putting on that event and allowing us to participate in, and helping them uh, plan it out. I think it opened eyes around here and it got the conversation going. Um, I'm just excited to see what type of official feedback and action actionable items come from that. Um, and being in the esports space, I've attended events where we talk about esports and people get fired up. 
but because they don't really understand esports, they think of it like uh, a good analogy, like it's a pizza that you go home and order. You're like, oh, I just, yeah, esports is great. We want to do esports. Let's order some esports, and and it doesn't work like that. Meaning that you have to put an investment towards it. You have to put the right personnel and staff to drive that those initiatives, not just go back to your office and pick Jim because oh. I hear Jim is good at League of Legends. He can be our esports guy. And Jim has <laughs> Jim has no connections in the industry, doesn't know where to start, uh, doesn't understand the structure. So now he has that learning curve of um, needing to go figure out the space in addition to already doing the job he was doing before he was dubbed the esports guy in an organization that he's also already been given a, pe- a pecking order, meaning that uh, no one listens to Jim anyway. Like So they, to give Jim control over a new initiative that no one understands and uh, to a person with no power, with no real budget, uh, it's not, it's not a favorable situation. And and that's what a lot of organizations do when they attend these conferences. So um, I'm looking to see uh, where did the USF summit uh, lead us? And only time will tell. Yeah. No, and I and I mean personally, I think it's always great to have you know if you for example a metaphor here of Jim that you know maybe he works in an organization and the organization starts looking at esports and then they go to Jim because Jim might know something and I think it's great to bring Jim on board. But to your point, like you're saying, I think there are too many organizations that then just put that person head on as the full on operation of it, and and then as, as everything you just mentioned, that's not you know a great approach to it. Um. You know, I think you should implement that person, but they may not. And, you know, in other cases, maybe they should be your number one person for moving to the esports space. But like you're saying, a lot of times just because someone has the passion or the ties, that doesn't mean that they should be put into the full on position of heading that as, as well as their other job. Like you mentioned. Um, well, Derek, that kind of we're going to start to wind down on on the podcast episode. I think that you've provided a lot of awesome information and, and content for everybody listening. So what I do to end the podcast episodes is go what we call, go through what I call the Lodges light seven. So mm-hmm. these are just seven questions that are intended for our listeners to get to know a little bit more of the personal side of you and a little bit more of what Derek likes or doesn't like. So the first question I have is that if you're about to take a flight, what snack do you grab before boarding? Gummy bears. Gummy bears, okay. Big fan of gummy bears. I like that. Um, you broke my streak. My last, what was it? I think my last four guests have all said beef jerky. So I was waiting for somebody oh, huh. to break that. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could be the host of any TV show, uh, so you know, like a game show, what show would you pick? Wow, game show. Ultimate tag. Okay, what is that? I, I actually that's, don't know what that is. Um, that's the where they have this arena that's full of like bars and and they have two people start off in the corner of the arena. One is the person to chase the other person, and one is the escapee. So it's tag where they're jumping through. Yeah, I have to check that out. That's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Um, if you could pick anyone to hang out with for one day, who would you choose? my pops man I could hang out with anybody I would hang out with my pops <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. that's awesome uh, this one's interesting so if you could cover any sport 
um, so you know, even esports included, who would you have on your Mount Rushmore? So who would you say are your top four players of of all time, in your opinion? Whoa, and esports in general? Esports, NBA, NFL, NHL, any any professional sport. Who would you pick as your your Mount Rushmore? That's a tough question. This, yeah. this one always gets everybody the most. <laughs> Especially for a, a geek that's not even into sports, I would probably pick. Um, man, picking e- like? sport players too, though. If you I'm trying to think of who I. But I'm a hardcore gamer, man. So I think I'm the best at everything. No, <laughs> <laughs> I would do a uh, uh, Charles Barkley. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm an Auburn grad, so I like Charles Barkley. Any others you throw on there with him or no? I would throw Charles Barkley, um, Jerry Rice, and Ronnie Lott. I was, okay. definitely, I was definitely big fans of them back in my gambling days. <laughs> nice. Um, this one's a lot easier. Are you a cat or dog person? I have cats, um, so I'm going to say I'm a cat person. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have a cat too. Um, this one's always interesting. If you could ask God one question, uh, what would it be? If I could ask God one question, it would be, it would be, can I see the highlight reel of all the things that you saved me from that I had no clue about? That's an awesome answer. That's the best answer I've had yet to that question. (laughs) I like it. That would be really interesting to see too, you know? Um, and then to end it off, the last question is that if you could be the star of any movie, uh, who would you be? So, you know, what character <laughs> would you be in that star movie? Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. <laughs> Those are great movies. <laughs> um, well, Derek, thank you again so much for, for coming on here and sharing your personal story, sharing what you're doing in the esports space and the background that you have with it, you know, some things that you think can be improved, some things you like, you know, just all of it. Thank you for coming on. I think it's important for professionals in the space right now to, to have that voice and to inform others. Um, definitely want to let our guests know or our listeners know where can they find you on social media? Uh, they can find me at high point gamer, all one word, no special characters. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. That's even my gamer tag on Xbox, PlayStation. I'm a big Overwatch player. Uh, I'm currently busting heads on Mortal Kombat 11, though. So if you want to get bust up by a collector that's a beast, um, definitely <laughs> add me and connect with me. I also have a podcast called Gamers Wanted, where I allow gamers to share how gaming shaped their lives. I'm trying to help squash the stigma that gaming is a waste of time awesome awesome well there you guys have it all the places that you can find them so Derek thank you again so much for coming on I hope that all of our listeners enjoyed it and we'll catch you next time on the Lodges podcast what's up guys thanks for listening please subscribe and leave us a five star rating if you've enjoyed this you can find us on social media at Lodges underscore financial Please go check out our social pages where you can find lots of other great content committed to gaming and esports. This is also the best place to be kept up to date with everything going on at Lodges. Thanks, and you were just listening to the Lodges Podcast.